1: it's just that perfect mix of being quite gruesome but not actually that terrifying but still fascinating and they're both brilliant and it's so funny as well
2: it never feels choppy and never feels weird and never loses you it just clips along it's great it's like a cartoon with consequences it is a good fun time and it's watching it is kind of watching a sea of Incredibly talented actors, just run with it.
3: It kind of fits everything. It's a comedy. It's got some really weird horror element. It's quite a good gateway horror film for maybe young horror fans. And if you want to see Bruce Willis just being a total shaking wreck, this is the one to do it. Hey,
1: everybody. Joining us in the studio, we've got Emma. Hi. Paul.
2: Hello there.
1: And as always, Kobe Hello, film fans! Joining FlixWatcher remotely today, we have Emma and Paul. If you could please say hello and tell our guests a little bit more about who you are and the podcast you do, please.
2: I am Paul, and well, she is Emma, and we are the Yearbook Committee podcast. Uh, We are a a podcast all about teen movies, um, in which every episode we try and pick some sort of theme or topic about sort of teen life, or at least how, as far as it's represented in film, and then we pick three films that line themselves up with that and we talk about how good those films are, how good they are representing that topic. And yeah, it's it's a good time. And we turn through <laughs> a lot of movies with that kind of format. Okay. Um, yeah.
3: So it's getting an unhealthy number already.
2: Yeah. I mean we we started like our spreadsheet that we get all over that we made a list of is an absurd number because there are an absurd amount of teen movies out there. Mm. Um so yeah we'll never really run out of material on that one. I level.
3: mean and they keep making them
2: they keep making them, you know. Yeah, because you had recent
0: ones such as uh, Booksmart in the... Oh,
2: yeah. Yep. We've yep.
3: done yeah, Booksmart, but... which is an absolute smasher.
2: Yeah, I could watch that right now. That, yes. That's a great movie.
3: Let's just go watch Booksmart. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, hold on. You can, I mean, You've done Booksmart you know. already,
3: haven't you?
2: We have indeed. Have you We've listened done quite a few
1: teen, teen movies, yeah. haven't we?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I went and it was like, oh, centre stage. And yeah. I want to listen to that one.
3: Oh yeah, we did. We did center <laughs>
2: yeah. stage as well. Oh, did you? What, what was your center? What was what was the linking theme for center stage? Uh, the, the stage
3: school
2: kids. Uh, kind of the the drama uh, kids. So it was like we watched uh, center stage, fame, and raise your voice. Famous um, shit. Fame three. So I'll never stop going on about
3: how
2: much I love fame. So was Paul? You didn't like fame? Oh no, it's great. It's fame, fame Oh yeah, is okay. really good. Um, like good songs. An amazing one shot at a train station that I wouldn't shut up about. Still won't shut up about. Clearly. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Fame's good stuff.
0: Yeah, I remember being. Uh, randomly, it's a film I watched loads as a kid, and loved the song.
3: Yeah, I was the same. I feel like I watched it far too young because every now and then, when you watch it as an adult, you're like, "This is quite grown up at times." And I watched this it at like seven.
0: It is. It's one of the things like, Mum, why well, wasn't watching this. <laughs> um, There's dancing, Kobe. You know. Yeah. I yeah, don't. But... I
1: don't think it's in my memory. I don't think I've seen it, or at least. Well, that's a good time. <laughs> not all the way through
0: it heavily influenced uh, the center stage and, and other kind of things that followed it well thanks for joining us guys here yeah, but podcast is a great uh listen uh do do check it out bob paul you also have another podcast do you want to tell us briefly about that before we head into Oh, Talking yes. about this film today.
2: Um, I'm also one quarter of Fatal Attractions, uh, which is a podcast all about uh, initially '90s erotic thrillers, but then we opened up a little bit and now we're looking to erotic thrillers of all decades. Um, <laughs> yep, and yeah, so we're we're covering quite the gamut. So it's it's Fatal Attraction, it's uh, Basic Instinct, it's Body Double, um, Perfect Blue. There's all kinds of really good stuff that we cover, and not when so you good say really
0: stuff. good stuff, to, I mean. Do you find yourself hanging your head in shame sometimes when you think, oh, fucking hell, this sort.
2: Oh, legit, there's some stuff in there that's absolute garbage and should <laughs> never be watched by anyone. But we try and balance that out. If, you know, for again, for every, like, something like wild orchid, garbage, yeah. actual trash, <laughs> um, there is a perfect blue or eyes wide shut or bound or something that's just glorious. Yeah, we've had Amelie on here, who brought us La La Land,
0: yep. which Helen was not happy about in any way, shape or form. I love La La Land,
1: but that, not happy with La La Land before Emily decided to bring it. There's yeah, she it. was
2: she wasn't the deciding factor in you not liking
1: it. Should <laughs> feel I should
0: add. Do so go back to listen to La La Land um, if if you want to hear what, another member of the federal chat Pod. But we had to talk today about Death Becomes It, which is your choice, Emma. Yep. So can you tell us first of all why you chose it, and then you will have sixty seconds okay. or less.
3: So first of all, I think Death Becomes Her because. Again, it's another show I probably watched far too young. Um, I just, I love it to bits. It's so goth, it's camp, it's PG body horror. (laughs) Um, And the the cast's amazing as well. And I'll I'll get into this more, but um, there's absolutely nothing for me not to like about it.
0: Okay, synopsis starting now.
3: Um, Two rivals discover the potion of eternal youth and are just horrible to each other for the rest of their lives. Done in ten. <laughs>
0: well done. Love it.
3: Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep are basically two like, school friends. I think they I think they went to school together. But over the years, they've just grown this like really hideous rivalry where everything they do is really to outdo each other. And Bruce Willis is the sort of hapless idiot caught between the two of them. Just sort of p- bouncing from pillar to post occasionally, literally.
0: It's such a great role for Willis, actually, because this is so against type. But... It's so
3: different. And especially, yeah. like, this was, like, 1992, so he was still mm. doing, like, loads of action movies. I mean, not like he's not now. Like, he's still popping up every now and then, even though he should probably take a nap. Um, like, at this point in time, he was doing loads and loads of big action-y things, whereas this is a total quiet character. He's a pushover, mm. total doormat. And it's just great to see him being a quivering wreck for a change. <laughs> Loved it.
0: What do you think you took it? Was it, do you reckon it was, it was Robert Zemeckis said, hey, I've got a film for you? And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be in the film.
3: I, I've got no idea, but it was a great choice From to do it anyway. Maybe he just wanted a wee break. Maybe it just felt like fun, because I think that's one of the real strengths of the film is that it's not too serious. It mm. knows that it's kind of daft at times, but I think that's kind of what's magic about it. So I think maybe everybody, like they certainly look like they're having a good time.
2: Where, where are you in this, Paul? Uh I, I really enjoy Death Becomes Art. I actually saw this one in the cinema. So I was ten
0: mm.
2: uh when I saw this one. And yeah, exactly that. It's it's a great time. I mean, like as you say, it it really demonstrates how good Bruce Willis can be when he's awake. And <laughs> to have uh, to have people like Meryl Streep and uh Goldie Hawn just channeling some proper like old Hollywood style feuding just into like hyper glamorous bitchiness with shovels god damn that's like how can you not like that that's that's a great time
3: it's just no holds barred as well like it's pretty really vicious it's oh, hmm. really nasty at times both verbally and physically
1: i'm very jealous that you got to see it at the cinema hmm. um i also saw this when i was younger and absolutely adored it it's just that Perfect mix of being quite gruesome, but not actually that terrifying, but still fascinating, and they're both brilliant, and it's so funny as well. There's one of my favourite lines is when Madeline and Bruce Willis are in the car. I can't remember Bruce Willis's character's name. Yeah, is his character's it. name? Yeah. Ernest, that's it. And she just says to him, Could you just not breathe? <laughs> and it's just it's brilliant. It's fantastic. It's an Oscar winner won the oscar rightly so for best visual effects mm. and it's it's brilliant and it's it's so sprightly and it's kind of it's it's like a zombie movie except no one ever talks about them, them being a- actual zombies and yeah it's brilliant i love it i love the dresses they wear and is- isabella rosaline is like bejeweled yep. barely covering
3: her it's getting held up just through just sheer willpower that's the only way that's staying on her it's amazing <laughs> and there's a point where she takes a pen out of it where was she keeping that?
0: <laughs> yeah I, I saw this in the cinema as well and so I was 12 and I saw it I think I'm not sure if it was Bruce Willis that went to see it for, or Goldie Horn, who I was probably a bigger fan of at the time um, but I didn't I just didn't understand it at all it, this film made no sense <laughs> to me whatsoever as a 12 year old for me I think it, it totally makes more sense as, as an adult so I was, I was interested to hear you Paul say when you saw it in the cinema at 10 that you yeah. you vibed off it and this, for me, at the time, I don't think I would have read to the Robert, Robert Zemeckis was the director who's behind my favorite films at the time, Back to the Future and like Hoover and Roger Rabbit. I don't think that would have been a driver for me to see it. But I think it just—I just remember being advertised everywhere, and some some of the scenes being funny. But for me, I think the whole kind of piece, the whole kind of story, is super dark. And as a kid, I was like, "Sorry, what's going on here? This is this is really this is really weird, Dad. <laughs>
2: Why did you bring me here?" <laughs>
0: But as an adult, it, 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 it really ties in together. It really ties in all the pieces together. So I don't think it's a kids' film. Well, for me, it wasn't a kids' film. To get the most out of it, in the same way that I saw *Parenthood* with Goldie Hawn and Steve Steve Martin, didn't get it as as a kid. But I love both Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn, and, and um, *The House Sitter*. Sorry, sorry. *The House Sitter* was it was Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin. *Parenthood* as a kid didn't get it, but as an adult, you're like, this is this is fantastic. So this is where it kind of sits for me. This is like 25 up. Is for me Um yeah. but the special effects let's talk about that because it's it's subtly brilliant aren't they yeah Robert Zemeckis this is where Zemeckis is like the king for, for yeah. a lot of reasons
3: I feel like you always kind of go back to I mean I know there's lots of really cool stuff in like Back to the Future but I think Roger Rabbit's a real yeah, like abs-
0: absolutely milestone
3: there incredible and isn't I it? remember there was like an interview with Dustin Hoff- no, Bob, no Hoskins. Bob Hoskins good lord it's too late in the day <laughs> um, saying that like at one point, if he held the rabbit with his fingers all together, it was fine. But if he spread, like, one finger, it just cost them, like, an extra five grand or something. And it's one of these things that always stuck with me about how th- the details matter so mm. much in these kinds of films. And something that looks so seamless and effortless is actually a lot, a lot of work. And one of my favourite moments in Death Becomes Her is the point where, after, like, a shovel breaks and Melchute throws it and it sticks, and, sticks in the couch, yeah, and Goldie okay. Hawn just sits back, calmly on it and it pokes up through the hole in her belly and all i can think is just, i mean i still i can't fathom how they did it i know some kind of computery magic way but i don't want to know back in
0: 1992 that's that's the most difficult thing in the I mean, entire world it was
3: world. black magic in 1992
0: yeah even now it's like i'm still looking at that now that that was a scene i was going to point out It's like it makes no sense it makes no sense to put a hole through somebody and then then sit through it and also the camera pans around as, as she sat there so it's not just fixed in one place and that's the thing with Roger Rabbit as well. It wasn't just Bob Hoskins holding Roger in one in one place. The camera moved around him and everything was moving around. And that was what made it like super difficult. So I think that's it's subtly awesome that it wasn't as showy as Jurassic Park, which is still awesome. And I think that was one of the biggest things watching this time it was just like fucking gobsmacked. It's like 1992, 1992. This is outstanding. Sorry, maybe Helen, Paul, take over.
1: <laughs> so the, I, I, this time watching it, I was kind of curious. So... Meryl Streep is 43 in this and Goldie Hawn is 47 in this. And, like, they look like they could be in their 20s. Yeah. Like, it is
2: offensive. So when they,
1: when, when they get de-aged, <laughs> they kind of look yeah. like the age they looked at that time. <laughs> so it's just, like...
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a great wee trick to, in order to make them seem really, like, old. They have to, like, make them up to look old so when they take the, aging, the de-aging potion just take all the makeup off and go right you look like you now like, <laughs> that's fine um yeah it's, and it, it's it spans great.
3: quite a long period of time the film there's like a, a time jump and then a time jump and then a massive time jump but they still look like goldie horn and meryl street
2: it's kind of a, on a weird kind of level. there's there's a certain degree of, like you feel like an aspect of the pacing of the film shouldn't work because it makes such bizarre time jumps so it'll spend a little bit of time here and then it'll jump three years and it'll this little time here jump five years little time yeah. here jump another few years and the bulk of the movie is over the course of a day a day yeah. and the night yeah. it's um and then it'll do a, another another big time and a really substantial time jump later and yet it never it never feels choppy it never feels weird it never loses you it just clips along it's great
1: because helen gets to experience her eternal youth for like about Ten, ten years, ten maybe a bit longer. Whereas, mm. poor old Madeline only gets to experience her eternal youth for like Never. a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. she, she barely gets home and has time to show it off before she's <laughs> next broken. And that fall down the stairs mm-hmm. oh, is brilliant. It's the noise. I absolutely it's love the that. Noises. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Like all the crunching and skittling down. And I remember watching the first time watching it, and when she kind of like. <sighs> gets up it's so brilliant and grotesque but hilarious just the way it's edited
2: because like they really elongate so it makes it seem like the staircase goes on forever same at the end as well like these staircases are just like they're four steps long and yet it takes you forever to fall down them it's great (laughs) it's great
3: Um, i love as well just the way some of it's framed because there's times where they clearly like okay we're having a conversation here But we want you looking at the back of the room. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it's like split diopters, and other times you can tell it's because they're fudging around the special effects. So it's just a bit fuzzy, but it almost makes it creepier. There's just this (laughs) thing moving in the back of the hall.
0: Yeah, that's the classic one where uh, Ernest is on the phone, uh, I did it, I did it. And suddenly Helen pops back and she starts moving around. And again,
2: yeah, back in the mindset
3: get up it's like watching bambi learn how to walk <laughs> it's
2: just so uncomfortable but like horrifying it's like really janky and weird <laughs> what rating was
0: this when it came well it must have been at least a pg it must have been a pg actually because uh, sure. i think it was a. T-
3: was it was See, it's a on was it Netflix 12 but i the dvd i've got in the house is a pg so i feel yeah. like it's one of these films that's a bit like jaws you know that way every now and then a, a bbfc person looks at it and is like oh no i have been getting this one wrong
2: for years. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no way I could have seen in the cinema if that was a 12, not the cinema I went to see yet. Um, but I did, for sure, because I remember the... I, I very, very much remember the actual sequences where, uh, like, Madeline gets killed um, really well and, and the shotgun projecting her into the, the, the fountain outside. Vividly remember those in a big dark room, just going, this is amazing. Because it's a cartoon, it's bizarre. It's like a cartoon with consequences.
0: Yeah. Where, where are you guys on um, Robert Zemeckis and his career as, as a director?
2: Kind of in a weird spot. On a certain level, like he's he's technically a really, really good director. Mm. Like, pretty much seems to always make the right decisions as to, like, casting, where, what types of projects to do, where to put the camera. Has a really good sense of visual effects um, that he's been able to put together for a really long time. And yet, oftentimes, he doesn't really seem to. Oftentimes, he seems to make something that's not good. It's a weird kind of thing. We talked about on an episode of Fatal Attractions where he very often. It seems like he made a really. He made like an all-timer classic very early in his career. He made Back to the Future. And ever Mm. since then. More of a critical eye has been pointed at him than he his career can necessarily bear up to. He still makes really good films every once in a while, um, and this is great. But there are times we go, that's that's not great. And if we were less critically minded in looking at stuff, we would maybe be more forgiving. I don't know. He's, he's more faulty. forgiving or less forgiving. I mean, looking at his
0: f- filmography, well, Helen and Emma what. What are your high-level thoughts before I go through his uh, filmography? For...
3: I feel like he's one of these people where sometimes he maybe gets a bit hung up on an idea and that doesn't always translate through the whole film. Like, I feel like as much... I do love this. This is great. But exactly what Paul was saying about the pacing is one of the things I think is slightly weaker about the film because it feels like um, somebody had the fight sequence in the middle in their head and were like, this, this is the film! And mm. then there's the rest of it threaded round it because that's the chunkiest part of the film that whole night of the coming home she's dead no now she's dead and oh, i want to get up and all this and um, and i feel like with other things like i i hated beowulf because i really love the story of beowulf and it felt like one of these things where it was like but we're making this 3d action movie of like great heroes and it, it's it's not it's not good it's not good helen definitely
1: for me like he kind of made the films of my childhood in terms of like the stuff in the 80s and then kind of the 90s but then post castaway anything after that I don't think I've seen well, I think I've probably seen flight but I haven't really seen that I, th- I think some of the kind of magic that I've experienced watching his earlier films just kind of isn't there but then maybe I think well is he still kind of making the same films but for like the next next generation of me? Like maybe there's like younger people who are kind of into the stuff that he's doing. He he did become very kind of obsessed with special effects, yeah. didn't he? And trying to recreate humans in special effects and it, it kind of got in the way of a story rather than... But then I guess maybe it's who, who he works with because obviously the, the writer of this... David, is it Coepp? Yeah. Also wrote, yeah, Jurassic Park, Spider Man, Panic yeah. Room, First Mission Impossible. So maybe with, with a good story, he could still come back. But yeah, definitely like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, Back to the Future, to some extent, Castaway are all great. Mm, those films. are all
0: outstanding, outstanding classics. I mean, Castaway is slightly different. because That's less of a of a special effects kind of beast in there. More because he does he does do these character pieces like like Flight. But also there's weird ones like Allied and The Walk where you're like, I, I think this is what it was you, Emma, were saying about he's pitched pitched the scene and that's why he's done it. So The Walk is, yeah. he's, he's recreated that walk between the two towers and that's why he wants to do the film. And that's pretty much the whole reason why he wants to do the film. But then the rest of it is like, uh, I mean, the story's okay-ish, but the, that walk bit is, you almost think, you almost wish he just did the short of that bit. Yeah. And yeah. then that was it. And then you go up and do your next thing. Um, so Allied Allied's a weird one that I wouldn't have put down in him.
1: We've reviewed that. I'm like, he directed that? Yeah, exactly. Did we talk about him when we reviewed it? Exactly. Because I'm like, what? It's
0: such a weird thing. Of, of course, we forget Romance in the Stone, which is one of the things I put mm-hmm. him on the map.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Absolute classic. Well, and I need to I need to rewatch it. I was going to say absolute classic, but I'm not sure how well it holds up. Um, but it is one of those, it's a, a director of my youth. Um, mm-hmm. But to say it's a Robert Zemeckis film now isn't going to make me run to it. Um, the most recent film of What's If His was, was Witches, and I was like i don't think you need to do this film and i watched it and i was like you didn't need to redo this film the nicholas Rogue one was fantastic and scared me more to death than than it's yeah, modern iteration
3: which i think is why i kind of avoided it i'm a bit of a sap for a lot of like physical effects so i think mm. a lot of the the trailers for the new itchies immediately made me go oh. <laughs> no
0: nah, i'm not not into that not into that at all um is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we head to the scores
3: Um, I think one of the things I just really love about the film as well is like the body horror element of it is brutal Mm. and um, it's ultimately about really horrible things happening to women's bodies. But it doesn't ever really hold back and quite often it's the women inflicting this on each other or themselves. Like I think the film kind of shows super early on these women are never going to be able to look after themselves for eternity because one of them's never out the plastic surgeon and Helen loves ice cream apparently so I feel like it's when these films were super early on they're like these are going to look like haggard old queens by the end of the film
0: that was quite quite shocking to me when they pulled up the veil at the end I was like fucking hell that's
2: yeah
0: <laughs> that
1: with before. your makeup on yeah that's <laughs> what happens when your fingers break off
2: you can't put them yeah. back on how can you possibly apply mascara in the same dexterity if you're missing some of your fingers <laughs> <laughs> scores sure I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
1: welcome to the Flixwasher scores all of our scores are out of five you may have decimal places if you wish and uh, we'll start with you please Emma with your recommendability um,
3: well, I'm going to say five because it's great um, <laughs> I think it kind of fits everything it's a comedy it's got some really weird horror elements. it's quite a good gateway horror film for maybe young horror fans plus the cast and if you want to see Bruce Willis just being a total shaking wreck this is the one to do it
2: uh, Paul? Um, I will... I'll go quite high. Maybe not quite as high as i I'll probably go with four because it is a lot of fun. There are maybe some things that would maybe sort of drop against some people because some people might find it too cartoonish and so they can't really sort of dig into it or maybe they'll find the pacing of it. But it's, it's a, it is a good, fun time and it's watching... It is kind of watching a sea of incredibly talented actors just run with it. So four. Helen?
1: Um... I'm so happy you picked this, Emma. I think this film is brilliant. And I really like what you say about it being kind of like a gateway horror because I definitely feel as though it was a gateway horror or at least kind of gateway sort of comedy horror Mm -hmm. as well. But I think it's brilliant. I think there's there's a lot in it for kind of everyone, really. And even for kind of a serious film fan, it's such an interesting performance by Meryl Streep because she kind of hasn't really done anything at all like this. And they're just—it's just, it's just a, a fascinating piece of cinema from from that kind of time as well. And it's so there's some like wonderfully campy moments, like the the songbird song that she has at the start is just oh, ridiculously yeah. off the chart camp. It's brilliant. Like you could almost imagine like some kind of like musical coming out of this or yeah. something. Um, I
3: think I it's feel just... like some drag performers have totally embraced this, right? Like Jinx and Bendela oh, yeah. yeah. from sure. Drag Race have both yeah. done bits and pieces.
1: It's 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 just timeless, so yeah, absolutely a five mm.
0: from me. I'm going to go for four point one. I think it needs a not twelve year old, cobia uh, and <laughs> Um but after, yeah, after that, if you if you're up for a bit of fun, then absolutely. But yeah, I don't I don't I don't, I don't see this as a PG film whatsoever. Just because the subject matter, but I think some of the scenes are <laughs> quite quite frantic. I do want to ask my dad, like he, he would remember what he would he will not remember taking us to see this film at all. Um. But what were you thinking, Dad, when, when that was going through <laughs> through your mind when this this lady's uh, head was getting smacked 360 degrees and like, a spear was being thrown through her, through a body? Although it did take us to see Jurassic Park as well, um, which was around this kind of time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, Emma, repeat me in school
3: I'd probably say a four because it feels like the kind of film you could probably watch drunk in a 30 with a pizza and not mind that you've either missed half of it or you've seen it before. But also it's got that kind of fun thing where because you know it a bunch, you probably could say it line for line. Plus there are, every now and then I do notice something ex- extra in it. Like this time around watching it, I noticed them when they were in the plastic surgery right at the beginning before even anything remotely horror has happened. There's just a room where there's somebody and I don't know what's happening, but it looks like they're getting some kind of like weird blood transfusion and it's horrible. It's really weird. And I've never clocked that before. So I yeah I'd put I'd put repeat
2: viewing up at what did I just say a four I'll say four. Uh, Paul, yeah, I'll probably put this at four. Like, there's a reason that this movie gets like in some circles, this movie is the type of movie that gets sc- like screenings where people come along and say the entire script along with it is it is exactly like, you know like the the kind of camp cult classic that brings people together. It's exactly the kind of thing that if you saw when you were a kid. You maybe it's not necessarily the same level as other ones that everyone else saw, and so you've got that kind of connective tissue with your entire generation. Maybe you saw it and you take it with you for a very long time till you meet someone else who had the same reaction to it, and then you've got a friend. Then you've got a friend for for a long time because you've got something <laughs> to wrap around. Um, and yeah, this this is exactly the kind of thing that you can just wrap yourself up in a bunch uh, and rewatch over and over again without feeling the drag of it. You can let it wash over you or you can d- dig into it with every one of your teeth. It's good stuff. So actually screw it. 4.5. 4.5. <laughs> Helen.
1: Um, so like, I saw this like loads as a kid, like absolutely loved it and then didn't acquire it on any kind of like DVD replacement. So it definitely came to Netflix around about a year ago because I know because I was like, oh. <laughs> I definitely want to revisit this and I watched it then and really enjoyed it and equally enjoyed re-watching it this time around and if someone said like do you want to watch it I'd be like yeah of course I would why not um so uh, 4.5 yeah
0: uh, I don't think I'm going to watch it often and giving it 2.5 I think once every can 5 years would be good for me like I say, I appreciate it more as an adult than as a as a 12-year-old in the cinema. Small screen score. Let's go for Emma.
3: I had a weird thing about this where when I watched it on Netflix and it might have been, I don't think it was my monitor, but it just felt a little fuzzy. And I ended up switching the DVD and the DVD was better quality. So I don't know whether Netflix is like blowing it up to fit the ratio or something because the DVD ratio was weird. But I would love to see this on like a cult screen and night at the cinema as exactly mm. Paul was saying like everybody kind of cheating lines along and you know um, and it's so quotable that I think it'd be great for that the whole I'll paint your ass you paint mine <laughs> yeah so yeah um, small screen score too.
2: Ooh, Paul? There's definitely something in this that kind of begs for a big screen even just aside from like the watching it with a crowd of similarly minded people. There's something about it that's given that it's about given that it's so like highly camp and it's about incredibly large as life characters who are grasping for like immortality and glamour and all that like, that shit begs for a big screen to just to have just to have them fill that I mean like the the Merrill Street uh, musical number in and of itself <laughs> demands height scale. Um so you can still enjoy it on a small screen, for sure, but there's definitely there's definitely something in there that, you know, demands big screen. Um, I'll give it three on a small screen. Helen?
1: I'm going to have to, like, ask my dad if we went to see it at the cinema <laughs> because i like, oh, I can't think that far back. Too much new stuff has entered my brain and it's...
2: Push the other stuff out.
1: Yeah. I definitely saw it, like, a lot around the time it came out i'd love to see see it again at the cinema um like you said i think watching it with an audience who loves it as much as we do would be a great experience but then that kind of said if you've kind of seen it enough times at home then it's kind of enjoyable and if your only option is to see it on netflix then do do that because it's kind of fun so i'm gonna give it a four
0: i'm gonna give it a Uh... I give 2.5 again because i think if I, next time i do watch it, it would be a, a prince charles screening with lots of people there because i think i need to get the the umph and the energy from the crowd um plus because again special effects just did still they still blew my mind absolutely seamless absolutely seamless so i'd like to see the big screen again next engagement score emma
3: i'm going to be very predictable and say five <laughs> I feel like it just has me from start to finish. I feel like I'm invested in these women from the word go. Um, as we've already said, big musical number. Plus it's just the idea that from the beginning, it's so clear they hate each other. And I spent, you spend the whole film just wanting to know why and why do you hate each other? And then by the time you know why they hate each other, it's so stupid and ridiculous that you now want to see that their idea of hell has been stuck together forever. So yeah, I'd love I. I Totally five. Um, plus, it's the idea as well. It's this, this total scathing critique of like Hollywood and the mm. expectations put on, particularly women. So it just feels like it's constantly like making a Hollywood movie while at the same time like jabbing you in the ribs about it. So yeah, five for me.
2: Paul. I shall say four because I do love it. it, but it does have me pretty much from beginning to end. I guess there are times where I can sort of, I, I think I'll maybe start paying attention to like different smaller aspects of it i'll like look at the effects or i'll look at color or i'll look at something that's maybe something that's part of a minutia of, of it rather than the entity itself so i don't know if that is necessarily a, i don't know if that makes it more engaging or if that's an aspect of it, me being distracted by a smaller part of it but yeah i'll say four helen
1: it's kind of a weird one because obviously i've seen it so many times that obviously i know everything that's coming up but i'm still really engaged in it because I just really enjoy spending time with this film and, you know, an hour and 43 minutes, I think any longer, it didn't need, like there's no way it needed to be any longer and I, it works for me. So I'm going to go five as well.
0: Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go for a four. I think it's, I think those time jumps actually really helped kind of propel the film. And was it when, when Goldie Hawn was in the, um, I don't know the most appropriate word to say the, the um, institution. Did we go to see Meryl Streep and, and uh, Ernest at that point? Or was it just literally focused on her for that like five minutes and then went to another time jump? So it's kind of interesting how, as you say, how it kind of bounced around. And we we kind of have hide nor hair of. Um, prosthetically over, overweight Goldie horn I mean, they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to now. make it
1: now with a fat no, suit, would no. they? I mean, no. let's face I it. They, does, does, they,
0: I don't know if they, they, because they're kind of proving a point that she's gone so downhill. I don't know, wouldn't you be able to use it objectively, but they could use a fat suit to show that someone was fat and then they lost weight for legitimate reasons, but not to show that she's just a mess.
3: I do feel um, like it, is the it, thing. now watching it, it's slightly problematic that one of them, her self-destructive thing is she just keeps getting facelifts. And the other one mm. is that she clearly has mental health issues and mm. then eats a lot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel like you kind of have to watch it your that moment where your brain switched on so that you can go, it's not okay. I'm glad we've moved past this.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. As much as it's making the point about the change of like women's bodies and the representation in Hollywood, it's kind of still doing that in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it
0: it keeps me engaged. Um let's go for four point one. Four point one again. <laughs> and that gives us an overall score of three point nine five zero zero zero. It's up there. It's deep. It's it's, it's good. It was a small screen score, which is, you know, Bob Roberts Mackett's sci-fi special that's let it down with a 2.87 overall small screen score but everything else is pretty high uh cheers guys for bringing us film uh emma what well, these short sp- specifically it's a good fun one it must be fun like taking on films which won't feature in any of your podcasts yeah that was quite refreshing i don't know
3: if paul feels the same i did have a moment where i said to paul how on brand do you think we should be and then i came back to him with the films that i was going to pick and he was like that's still you on brand
2: yeah, it's still, it's still you. I mean, I I picked ones that are me. It's just of a different kind. Well, thank you very much. Can you tell everyone who's listening where we
0: can find you online? Uh, and we'll say goodbye.
3: Sure. We are on all the things at Yearbook Podcast, Twitter Instagram and all that. And uh, you can catch us an email, gmail.com
2: And if you wanted to speak to either of us for some reason, uh, I'm at Paul Cinephile and she's at Girl at Gotham. Excellent been absolutely pleasure to have you guys here thank you very much
0: for choosing death it Comes it again
3: thank you for having us and letting us gush about this film thank you so much for picking it yeah.
1: and joining yeah. us tonight yeah. thank,
2: awesome. you. thank you very much thank you bye, bye. bye. Bye-bye.
1: enjoyed this episode of flix watcher podcast why not leave us a five star review on itunes you can also follow us at flix watcher pod on twitter and we're at flix watcher on instagram